into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America. No, no, no. Extra gothic greetings to the damned. Hello, motherfuckers, and welcome to Pod Damn America, the extra gothic this week socialist podcast um, for the stupid children. Uh, an extra damn damn podcast too i don't know i'm trying to work that in there in some way it's not working uh but anyway hello uh welcome to this week's episode this is um just me doing some interviews this week i have uh an author of a book i wanted to get in here for a while leela taylor who wrote a book called darkly um we're just darkly subtitled black history and america's gothic soul it's really fucking good it's really interesting um it's about being a black goth it's about american history it's about gothic history it's about all sorts of things relative and pertinent to our show Uh, maybe not the first one but (laughs) but it's interesting um and I also have uh, Cole James Cash, host of Ghetto News Network, left YouTube show, which is uh, a whole world I'm learning. Um, and me and him are going to talk about, uh, you know, being a POC in the left world, as much as I can speak to that as uh, me being a pasty, pasty Mexican. Um, but I'm very excited. I've got a great episode, uh, lined up today. I've got two great interviews and I'm going to play some music that some people sent in. Um, I'll plug that here in a second and I'll plug it as it's happening. But, um, Hey guys, if you make music, if you make music, especially send me your shit and I'll play it on the show. Uh, especially if it's like dark wave or synth pop or goth or whatever the fuck you want to call it. Cause, uh, we have a little theme going here. Anyways, enjoy the rest of the show. Up first, I'll be interviewing Leela Taylor about her book, Darkly. Ah, just one more thing before we start. You may have noticed that the sound is crazy and weird on, uh, parts of this podcast, specifically my interview with Leela Taylor. Um, I don't know what happened. A bunch of crazy tech shit went wild. That's also why it's a little chopped up because our call kept getting dropped and uh, the pitch went all over the place. So I had to go back and correct it. So it sounds super weird, but uh, I'm going to chalk this up to haunted podcasts. I think there were ghosts. Um, And honestly, it sounds pretty cool. So that's all that is. And, uh, yeah, without further ado, as we get into this, um, there's going to be some music from some listeners. We're going to go right into a track called AI from, um, 
artist called Mevious, who is a pal of mine. And uh, after that, later on in the episode, we'll be hearing from um, I Love You, A Live Girl, which is uh, another track sent in by a listener that I thought was really awesome. Uh, all of their information will be listed in the show notes, so check that shit out. gothic this week i'm actually doing goth stuff uh, i know we get away from that sometimes today i am interviewing an author named leela taylor who wrote a book called darkly uh it was sent to me by the publisher um and it's great you should check it out it's a book um about many things about being a black goth about uh you know what goth is um how it's related to black history in the U.S. and uh, the experience of people of color and all sorts of other things. So, uh, Leela Taylor, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, I enjoyed your book quite a bit. Um, can you just tell my audience a little bit about your background, why you wrote Darkly, just the whole, you know, let's just start from there. Um, sure. Um, it, I mean, this this is my first book. My background, um, I'm, an, you know, I'm a graphic designer. I went to school for graphic design. And I had this itch to write, and specifically about like what it was like being black in a, a subculture that was perceived white. Like I would go to shows or events or parties and things like that of things that I liked, and I would look around the room, oh, and shit. I'd be oh, the sh- only black person. Oh, Wait, no, sorry. I, I thought something oh. happened and it didn't. Never mind, we're good. Oh. Go ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, so I would kind of look around the room and see that I was the only black person there. 
And, you know, I started thinking why that was. So I started off wanting to look at um, black folks in the goth scene, because that was the subculture that was closest to me. And, you know, what I realized is there really isn't that much of a difference between, you know, black goths and white goths or, you know, Chinese goths or African goths. Like, we all like the same kind of music and pretty much dress the same and like the same stuff. But the difference is um, a black goth is a black person in America. And the issues um, and problems that black goths face, black people in all kinds of cultures and all kinds of communities face. And as I was kind of looking into this, I found... um, uh, this slogan, this T-shirt that said, uh, so goth, I was born black, uh, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, uh, but then it kind of got me thinking, well, what does that mean? You know, what is the equivalency between blackness and gothness, you know? Um, and so that's kind of how it started. And it kind of started with that shirt and with the song Strange Fruit by Billie Holiday or sung sure. by Billie Holiday, uh, which I consider like, the you know epitome of american goth music is, is strange fruit yeah absolutely um yeah so that's kind of how it started on the path and looking at the you know the history of being black in america and you know the trauma of that and the continual trauma of white supremacy and black segregation how all of that stuff all of that anger and fear and um, sadness and mourning and all of those feelings that are, you know, under the surface, um, all that has to come out somewhere, you know, and I think it comes out in music and art and literature. And that's what I call the American, the American Gothic, the American Gothic aesthetic is essentially black history yeah totally um one of the first things that attracted me to even reading this book and then i think you touched on a lot in it is um this concept of like goth culture being for white people and uh dealing with that as someone who is not um I am a uh, fairly white passing uh, Latinx, whatever you want to call it. People within Latinx all argue with each other about what all these labels are. I don't know what the hell <laughs> to <laughs> describe myself as to not piss off all of Twitter. But, um, you know, my dad's Mexican. Um, my mom's white. I grew up in Texas. Um, and I, uh, you know, f- for those reasons, have kind of felt much of the pressure of uh, to not do things that are for white people because you know it's uh you know they're gonna call you uh, you know whatever names from that direction um and then i've also felt the other pressure to you know to assimilate um and so it's it's always been something that like is just kind of constantly on my mind when it comes to cultural stuff because i kind of ultimately i think made a similar decision as you talk about in this book which is just to you know you gotta go you gotta like what you like you know you can't really 
uh, fight that. And so you should examine where it comes from. Um, for me, I, um, I'm from Texas and it's not that uncommon actually. It's really funny because there is a general sense among white people that gothic shit is for white people, but like Latin kids love like Morrissey is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. My take on it has always been, I, I, my theory, my pet theory is uh, Catholicism has something to do with it. Um, but I don't know what your background is. So that could be a, you know, uh, counter argument. Um, it's just that like, you know, for me, I, my old Catholic relatives really put like all this symbolism and stuff of religion in my head. And yeah. then when I became old enough to, uh, you know, to invert it, like, you know, it became very like it became the symbols were still powerful, but now it's fun to use them, I guess, in a dark subversive way is kind of where yeah. a lot of like that sort of stuff started to appeal to me. Um, and I find that also to be true of a lot of famous goths like Marilyn Manson, for example, was super religious. So there's like a slingshot effect. Um, but I definitely think it is more than that. I do think that, uh, that you got it a lot of more, the more interesting parallels to, uh, you know, our inner lives and society in this book. Um, but to talk about those, those stereotypes, like the, the, you know, the, how possibly we could have arrived at a place where white people own death, you know, um, where do you, th exactly. where do you think that comes from and, uh, how can we take it back? You know? Yeah. Well, I think with goth specifically, and I do, I do make this sort of different uh, differentiation between goth and gothic. Like for me, you know, goth is super specific. It's, a music genre and the subculture that came out of that genre, you know, um, and while gothic kind of encompasses a whole lot of things and it's an aesthetic, it's in a perspective of things. So, but for goth, um, I think it probably started getting this label of being about whiteness, at least in America, probably around the time it started getting commercialized and uh, became part of the pulp popular culture. Um, because like punk, you know, there were black punk bands and there were black punks and everything. And all of that was there. Like there were black goths there, you know, as soon as goth appeared, there were black people who were into it. But I think, when you started seeing things like goth talk on SNL and stuff and like the South Park goth kids, which is a little bit later, but I think in terms of popular culture, it was all white, not only white, but a kind of white middle-class suburban thing. Um, and it became attached to this kind of self-indulgent kind of angstness, right? And I think the more you saw it on TV and then movies, you know, and Hot Topic comes around, 
And if the only representations you see of it are white, and if your only understanding of goth is the aesthetics of it, um, and you don't really understand, you know, the music behind it or the feelings behind it or, or anything else, it becomes this very whitewashed kind of literally culture, you know? And I think there's also, um, I mean, I think from my experience, I've never had, I personally have never had like a white goth person say, you don't belong here because you're black. I have had other black people say, you're trying to be white by liking goth. Yeah, that's um, the thing that I can you know never I mean? explain to people is that uh, like racism is not as uh, simple as it is portrayed in our you know TV and movies. It's very rarely is someone old school racist at you in uh, middle class America. You know, it's right. it's really it's usually these more insidious, complicated things where people tell you, you know. I mean, I get I I get a lot of white people just telling me like you're just no you you don't get to uh, I think they get jealous of me for having a thing that it gets me out of certain you know certain things they feel guilty about that are kind of a burden <laughs> and so no oh, no 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 you're you're white you know um, and so yeah it's always much more demented and like Freudian with them oh totally. Uh, yeah, you know, and I think there's also this idea that, um, you know, goth and the gothic, it's romanticism. And there's a certain kind of um, drama about it. At least, and again, I'm talking about like my gothness, which is like very much from the 80s. Um, but, you know, it's a kind of languishing kind of gender queer kind of a culture um it's a bit nerdy you know it's a bit retro like it's very much from the past it's very much like sort of looking backwards um and at least at the time it may be kind of a still it wasn't really that cool to be caught <laughs> um and i think there was this idea that that kind of thing, that kind of, you know, like Burning Man or, or like steampunk or like Renaissance fairs or any of these um, hobbies or cultures that are, um, you know, purely for fun, um, purely, again, a little bit, you know, nerdy, a little bit brainy. Um, a little bit esoteric. Um, all of these things are kind of, for lack of a better word, people think of them as like crazy shit white people do. Like they're <laughs> white people things, you know? Yeah. And that black people don't have time for that. Like black people don't have time for the silliness, you know, that goth is. I mean, if you're walking around in a black velvet top hat in 80 degree weather, you know, that's, <laughs> that's a overly dramatic 
um, kind of frivolous, um, uh, you know, way of being, you know, and I think for forever, you know, black people have been in this space of vigilance and um, coolness and having to have a certain kind of decorum um, and holding themselves together just to survive, you know, in this space that is trying to kill you on a regular basis. Having, being a part of this culture that is so dreamy and not vigilant and so um, uh, romantic feels, you know, very counter to what blackness, what blackness is. So it feels kind of like a, you know, it's a thing for white people. Like white people have time for that shit. I don't. Yeah. You know? uh, a couple, <laughs> a couple of things about that. I do like that you made the comparison to punk because I think a similar line can be drawn there in that punk started off as this thing in a specific neighborhood in New York. And it meant something very subversive and it was, you know, very ideological and then you know by the time like i don't know i was growing up it was um like a, a product it was a very like bubblegum pop sort of thing that you buy at the mall and because of uh and this is very on brand for our podcast but also maybe this is just how my brain works you know that is a byproduct of what capitalism did there that yeah. then causes it to uh flow out into the white suburbs and then it just becomes a numbers thing where because that's for uh communities who you know largely are white majority then it becomes a status thing and a thing that is fine for safe comfortable kids to do while they're hanging out at the mall but if yeah. you are either in that community and a person of color. So if, okay, there's two things. If you're in that community, if you're a suburban, suburban community and you're a person of color, you, you don't get to just go do that shit at the mall with them without it being a statement. And then also, if you're not in that situation, it's the, uh, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, maybe, maybe further away and maybe even seems weirder if you if you um you know grew up in a different place or whatever but um i do like to skip ahead a little bit and near the end of the, your book you talk about this thing where there's like a sort of seriousness or coolness that is projected onto black people to the deranged extent that people do something called digital digital blackface you know online where they yeah uh, they use yeah. li just literally a black person as a gift to react to someone they disagree with about politics or whatever. And yeah. all of this is to imply this coolness or silly, silly or, uh, um, seriousness that is in direct conflict with what you're describing as being a black goth, which is someone who is actually into a thing that is kind of silly and, you know, the point here being that, you know, it's actually it's more offensive to rob you of like the part of your humanity, which is uh, you, you should part of life is having these like nerdy yeah. interests and things, you know. 
Yeah, it's part of being a full human being. And so much of, and not only uh, um, the Black experience, but Native experience and any Indigenous people and, you know, people of immigrants where you are sort of labeled as a one specific thing in one specific way that's dehumanizing as soon as you start putting labels on people saying x number you know this group of people does xyz this group of people dresses like this um it's stripping away your authenticity it's stripping away your individuality um so being weird and kind of different in that way um, becomes an act of uh, rebellion. And actually, speaking of digital blackface, uh, the other thing that kind of inspired me in all of this is this video that was going around um, of or this little, uh, yeah, whatever, of this group of like uh, white, uh, like probably suburban, I don't know, like. I, they look kind of industrial, like not goth, but like industrial. And they're kind of this group of guys and they're all lined up and they're like dancing. Oh, I know the video. And, you know, yeah, right. And then someone took a image of, or video of this little black boy who looked like maybe eight or something in this like yellow shirt and kind of superimposed him in front of that and does this like what the fuck side eye yeah. between the dancers and him and, and pe- all these people kept sending me this to me like haha isn't this funny and i was like eh. and then at some point i was like this is just sad right because <laughs> it's, it's it's implying that this eight-year-old or seven or this little kid has this level of gravitas and judgment, right? That you would expect from, you know, a 60 year old or something, or that somehow, um, and not only that, but like, what about the black folks who like to dress like that and like that music and like to dance that way, you're automatically saying this is not something it's not only not something that black people do, but it's a weird, freaky thing, stupid thing that white people do and black people don't do stuff like that. Yeah. So the more yeah. So something I'm kind of stuck on and not to get too steeped into the politics of our show or whatever is just, but for me, like something I've observed in my life is that there's like, you know, there's like Republican racism, which is just outright sort of, uh, it, you know, they'll tell you who they are, but then there's this liberal racism. There's this one that is almost like it's trying to be woke, but be, in doing so you have a situation like this where you really look at the person and you go, you're actually being very reductive and using my entire identity as a puppet in a little simplistic play, (laughs) which has all these byproducts about the way that I feel, you know, and that's like kind of offensive. Right. And you know, this is something that we all have to navigate. And so when, um, I mean, you know, you, I do, you, I hang out at shows and stuff and I, I, I tour a touring comic and stuff. So I meet a lot of people in the, you know, there are, 
there are a, a lot of times a, the singular black person at a goth show or the singular black punk or whatever. And, you, you know, I don't, it's a story that I don't think people quite understand and that I certainly don't understand as a non-black person, but, you know, kind of relate to in that um, you don't get the comfort of just blending into the mob and just being... Uh, not having to think about who you are at all times in those situations. So you really have to make it a concerted effort to enjoy the things you like within a community of people that are just kind of can't get it. And it always reminds me yeah. of um, my friend Kevin Titt is a comedian who is uh, black and he's from D.C. And he wrote a really great piece for the Hard Times called uh i think it was something along the lines of uh black punk makes it all the way through show without someone asking him about bad brains which is (laughs) (laughs) you know this is probably a thing i'm sure he's dealt with a lot um but yeah um to move forward a little bit uh we're gonna talk about the way you wrote this book uh because it's very lyrical i really enjoyed a lot of the imagery and figurative language and metaphors where you draw parallels between, um, you know, these Gothic tropes like the, uh, the dilapidated haunted house and then the, you know, the decay of Detroit and things like that. Um, you know, all these interesting ways of, of just, uh, overlapping, um, you know, American history and uh, and what this gothic thing is. Um, I think it's a really creative way to write. Um, and I also think it plays into this thing you're talking about where goth is sort of non-serious, and it is what's fun about it a lot of the times, although it is a thing that uses seriousness as a mood, it is uh, something that's largely kind of performative and campy and is, um, you know, it's, it's something that you you play out and, and you can, you're free to have your own interpretation of it, which is a little bit different than something, something like punk, which is a very singularly materialist, like everyone fucking do this thing. Um mm-hmm. But I want to ask you There's about like a lot like, of gods who would say everyone has to do this thing. Too, I mean, that, that's that sure. Somebody somebody literally just tweeted, tweeted at me something like that. So I guess that is as fair and true. But I think the spirit of uh, you know it being your own make em up thing is something that spoke to me. Um, yeah. So my question is: Is goth and darkness a particularly potent wellspring of creativity for you? Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think so. It, it, it's interesting. So I kind of found my way into, you know, into the scene through, uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been kind of a weird, dark little kid. And I was always fascinated by, you know, death and ghosts and the supernatural. And, uh, you know, when I was really little, we lived near a graveyard. And I remember, like, me and my little friends going to the graveyard and seeing an open grave, like, just the hole, and making, like, mud pies out of the hole from the open grave, <laughs> and, like, playing, you know, funeral and stuff. Um, so when I, I guess when I was, like, maybe 13 or something, I discovered, I discovered Susie and the Banshees and Anne Rice at about the same time. And 
it really felt like, oh, here is, this is me. And this, there's a music attached to me, this, and there's literature attached to this. So I kind of found through music and art and books, all of the stuff that kind of fit me. Um, like it all matched my personality and I was like, Oh, there's these things that I love and there's these things that are me. And it kind of just became, um, the way, you know, when I got to a point where like, Oh, I can make my own art and I can write my own stuff and make my own stories. Um, it just sort of became an extension of my, of my personality and sort of, and sort of who I am. So being able to sort of put that in this, you know, cultural or historical context of, of goth and the gothic um, is nice um, and clarifying for, for folks, but it's always just kind of been, you know, weird me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, similarly, I can't really place where, it immediately just jumped out to me as something that just is so aesthetically attractive. It's just kind of in there somewhere. Um, but, uh, you know, but that is an aesthetic thing. So that's fine. Cause that's all it's for is just, uh, you know, making life more interesting, I guess. I, um, Something something I th- found really interesting through the historical stuff in your book was that you go back into the gothic, where goth even comes from, uh, which is, you know, if you want to get right to the core of it, comes from the Visigoths and the Ostrogoths sacking Rome. And uh, I thought that was a really... <laughs> this is something that made me think, I have to talk about this on our podcast, because... Um, thematically, what I am doing here with the politics of this show being, uh, you know, kind of far left and, uh, and being, you know, a counterpoint to a lot of, um, really pro capitalist, uh, enlightenment, uh, worshiping sort of individualist thinkers is, um, well, the reason I like the metaphor is is that because is is the way you describe it is you know there's Enlightenment era stuff happening in Rome, and then these spooky like you know mysterious pagan things from the woods come and destroy it, and like uh, I I definitely like that image because you know we're we're fighting these guys on Twitter, these dumb Roman statues for Twitter avatars and things, and uh, <laughs> just just as a flag, just as a, a funny aesthetic cartoon way of kind of making this statement. I like the idea that we're you know we're throwing the goth down and like uh, right. you know like the Visigoths or whatever, um, but. It is interesting that, you know, that happened in history and then also goth is a subculture way later on in America and a subculture is something that generally, historically in America, does fight against 
the individualism and the enlightenment thinkers and, you know, freaking uh, yeah. Republicans and shit like that. Um, yeah. So I guess if it's possible, can you speak to the parallel between the subversive nature of embracing goth culture and, um, you know, and, and being a person of color in America and, you know, being subversive by nature just by existing, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, gothic, goth, the gothic has always been um, an outsider. It's always been a little trashy. It's always been a little over the top. Um, uh, the this Jane Austen book, um, oh god, what's it called? I'm going to be a bad because I'm not a particular Jane Austen fan, but. Um, she wrote a book whose name I can't remember, but basically the main character, Northanger Abbey, I knew it would come out. <laughs> uh, she, the main character is this young woman who is this total romantic who um, is obsessed with this gothic novel. It was, it might've been, might've been Castle of Montanto. Um, which is like the first Gothic novel or one of those. And everyone thinks of her as being kind of silly and immature and her head's in the clouds and overly romantic for being, she was like the first goth is this character, right? <laughs> um, and then, you know, eventually she kind of grows up and, you know, she meets a, you know, fine upstanding gentleman to get married or whatever and she kind of loses all of her youthful whimsy and her love of gothic novels to become i don't know like a regular regular ass woman or whatever yeah um and i think uh the idea and he kind of spoke to it like just being just existing as an individual authentically as a person of color in the world is a subversive act. Um, just saying, I do not, not only do I um, um, not care about your whiteness, I don't want to be that. All of those things we struggled for 400 years to try to be considered human. Um, from the white supremacy, you know, and we're kind of looking at that and saying, I don't care what you think. <laughs> I don't care what your definition of a personhood is. I am me and I'm myself. Um, I think one of the things that goth and the gothic really specifically do is deal with emotions and deal with the full spectrum of human emotions, which is why there is this kind of melancholic, um, you know, performance of mourning and melancholy in Gothic and why I think that's so important uh, for black folks who've experienced death so closely and so intimately not only historically, but just on a day-to-day -day basis. And for, you know, generations, and this is like going back to the digital blackface thing, there is this idea of controlling your emotions, of you're supposed to be happy, you're supposed to be tap dancing, uh, either that 
or you're like the angry black man or the angry, you know, white woman. Um, so being able to fully emote um, is an act of humanity, which is an act of subversion for people who are continually trying to deny your humanity. So I think there's some, I think one of the gothicness of blackness is this history of having to face death all the time, right? And having to take all of that trauma that we've dealt with and not only dealing with it, but yeah, I mean, I guess one thing that's kind of interesting to me about some of the stuff you talk about is that, uh, you know, it does gothic shit does like sort of veer from the deathly serious, like, you know, when you talk about strange fruit being, you know, the most important way that this mechanism and this way of looking at things has uh been has commented on and interacted with human history um but then it veers all the way back to the other end where you know that Bauhaus song Bell Lugosi's dead is something that they say is actually was kind of a joke but it's just sort of (laughs) kind of uh you know steeped in this serious tone um, they were way too earnest and then everyone like got all into the earnestness of it. <laughs> yeah. Something I think it's funny about like, uh, goth music or just like dark wavy or synth pop stuff is that they, it's, the music is either often, uh, really bright poppy sounding music with really dismal lyrics or the other way around. Uh, goth is that. It, yeah, you're right. It either veers to the very serious and the very real to uh, the, the melodramatic or the overly dramatic, you know? Yeah. And then there's also like, you know, you talked about Screaming Jay Hawkins and he's, yes. he's a comedic type person on a lot of levels. Yeah. Very campy. There's a, there's a definite camp level to goth that people um kind of forget about which is actually why i would probably consider strange fruit gothic and not goth maybe that's the distinction yeah yeah like i would like i consider tony morrison's beloved her novel beloved a gothic novel you know um yeah i think goth is uh it's kind of pain performed, you know, it's kind of the, it's the interpretation of it. It's taking something that's, uh, you know, supposed to be repulsive and making it attractive It's taking something that's supposed to be sad and making it, um, you know, pleasurable, you know? Yeah. I, I that song, yeah. Certainly, and I think that's precisely the reason that it speaks to me because that's a, almost you know 
almost one to one uh the reason I'm a comedian and what I think the the function of comedy is is to sort of invert these dark things and um you know turn it somehow into some sort of like positive aesthetic thing right um yeah and to sort of round out i want to talk about something that you know i i get to talk about once every six months or so on the show and we have these conversations which is um in that wheelhouse or in that area um you know i i think comedy and horror are both these genres these like singular genres that don't overlap with other things that often specifically but because they um they both seek to evoke a response from the audience and they both are highly temporal and dependent on the uh you know social things going on in whatever society that is their audience at that time or or mm-hmm. in that space um you know so for that reason it's kind of fascinating to me to like watch comedy from japan or something because it's uh, indecipherable you know or it's it's a it's for someone else um it's a reflection yeah. of someone else these things are reflections you know and they interact with their audience um, yeah. in a much more direct, like almost physical way than something as deep as drama, which, you know, maybe more universal or whatever. But horror is really fun because horror gives you this game you get to play after you watch a horror film where you go, okay, what was that actually about? Because, you know, yeah. you can make these arguments, for example, that the, um, you know, all the, all the UFO in alien movies from uh, the Cold War era were commenting on the xenophobia and the paranoia of the yeah. time. You know, and the atomic age and nuclear annihilation stuff. Yeah. Totally. You can go through history and do this a million times. It's very fun. You know, you can talk yeah. about the, the rise of vampires during like, what was that? The, was that the Bush years? I want to say, I don't know. Um, uh, yeah. So my, Bob, yeah. My question is, what do you think the immediate, like, the horrors of the immediate future are going to look like, or the horror films of the immediate future? Who do you think is, um, what the hell? You gotta be kidding. Uh, (laughs) Uh, I think I'm good. Now my recorder's acting weird. I don't know what's happening. This podcast is haunted. (laughs) (laughs) No, I. I think it's all there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, what do you? This will be the our last thing, and then I'll get out of here because I got to run too. Yeah. But, um, what do you yeah. think the? Uh, what do you think our new monster is? What do you think the horror films of the next yeah. few years are going to look like, given everything that's going on in the world right now? I think. Yeah, I was thinking about this, and I think there's two things. I think. There's something about whatever whatever form this takes of um, our loss of control and power due to climate change in the environment. Um, and I think it's too easy to be like, oh, it's all going to be like avalanche and tornado movies. I don't know what that is, but I think there's something about our lack of power in controlling the sort of ever moving 
you know, freight train that is climate change. But I also think, I was thinking a lot about uh, that movie, The Thing. Yeah. Um, and I was thinking about what's happening now and how we have, like, we all thought, like, we all thought Nazis were gone pretty much. You know, we yeah. all thought that, you know, everyone understood that they were the bad guys. You know, it wasn't until Trump that I pe- think people really understood how racist we still are as a country. And there's this rise of nationalism everywhere, like all over the world. And I think there's something about this idea of um, not knowing, like the enemy is right underneath you, right? All the time, working all the time, and you just don't know it. And something exposing it. Which is kind of like the thing, like there is this monster that was trapped in the ice, right? you know, and people come along and they melt it and all hell breaks loose, you know? Um, I mean, that's like, if I had a, if I was going to write a horror movie, it might be something about that. I mean, this all of a sudden, or maybe not all of a sudden, but in the last three years, certainly all of the things that we thought were were safe and true and we understood as being givens are kind of gone. You know, all the shock people had about Trump and everyone's like, I can't believe he said that and I can't believe they're doing this. Um, people have been doing that all along. It's just that we haven't seen it. We thought they were gone. Or we thought they were they were shamed into submission or something. Yeah, no, but, I, I think yeah. you're right. I think that's what um, that was my reading of Jordan Peele's Us was. Uh, you know, this festering mm. thing that you left under the floorboards is gonna come back and get you because you didn't think about it. Um, yeah. which is also very thematic in like haunted house stories and stuff like that. Um, yes precisely because of like the floorboards um but i yeah i i i talked about this on the show uh maybe like last year with uh my friend jamie peck and i think that was my assessment was that's why that's why um all these sort of satanic horror movies are coming out because everyone Mm. left religion and then maybe the, the the horror story there is like no surprise it's very very real or something but um, I also thought the climate change thing would be a good story. My pro- the thing, the reason I think it won't happen is I don't think enough of America, enough of the audience understands like that that's really happening and that it is a big yeah. existential threat. But maybe when we get to a point where there, you know, there really is a consensus in the room about that, then we'll have enough people we're able to watch a movie where, you know, like you said, I don't think it'll be like a tornado movie or a hurricane movie. It'll be something where it's a metaphor for that. So the earth yeah. literally fighting us, you know, that is very yeah. scary. The ground swallowing you up just because yeah. it doesn't like you anymore, you know, and you heard it too much or something. I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. And half the people don't believe that it's happening. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> you know what? We should write this. <laughs> <I know. laughs> um cool well 
Leela, thank you so much for your time. Uh, can't re- recommend your book enough to my listeners. It's called Darkly Black History and America's Gothic Soul. It is on Repeater Books. Go check it out. I'll have a link and all the information and stuff. Um, do you need to plug anything? You got a Twitter handle? I, what, I, are you, what are you doing? I'm Twitter. I'm hello underscore Leela. L-E-I-L-A. Um, yeah. And that's, that's kind of it. You, you, you plug my book beautifully. Just perfectly. Cool. All right. Well, I loved it. And I look forward to reading uh, the next one. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Uh, I am now talking to Cole James Cash, host of the Ghetto News Network YouTube show, Crossing Worlds into YouTube. Hello, Cole. How you doing? Man, I'm good, man. You know, I'm good. I appreciate you inviting me on here. You invited me like two months ago, and then I got banned. (laughs) I was wondering what happened, because I saw you back on, and I was like, did that... Did we have some drama or some beef or something? Did you unfriend me? Nah, a lot of people thought that too. And um, it's funny because when I do have actual drama or beef, like I handle personal problems very personally. So, I'll, I, I uh, you know, if I got an issue with somebody, it's not going to be, you know, back and forth out in the open. You know, that's not that's not the way I operate. Yeah. So trust me, man. You would know if I had an issue, <laughs> I would just tell you. You send some guys and, to my house? No, nah. <laughs> um, but no, what happened was is I Lupe Fiasco made some dumb commentary about like rich people and I said, Man, that nigga Lupe is a smart dumb nigga and they said that that was inciting racial harassment and they killed my account. 
Man, that shit's so funny. I was at a show this weekend, one of the shows I was doing was Street Fight, and there were like three of us in the audience that were all like, well, here's what happened when they came to my house, and here's when they banned me. Like, everyone just has these damn stories from Twitter where you're just not allowed to, like, be mean to, yeah. you know, celebrities. It wasn't even mean, though. A smart, dumb nigga is somebody who sounds intelligent, but sometimes says airheaded things. It's a thing within our community. Not I just decided racial hatred. It's bullshit. I just said the same thing about Dave Chappelle and pissed off a bunch of Yankee yeah. people. Yeah, I, I saw that tweet. I'm like, he a smart, dumb nigga sometimes. <laughs> yeah. You know what people really hate is when you just call them opposites like that. Because I got a bunch of people got mad at me for calling Adam Driver ugly hot. But, you know, it's a thing. <laughs> you can be ambiguous in the way you look. Exactly. These people can't handle it. Um, anyways, man, I wanted to have you on the show because I am doing an exclusively uh, no whiteies show, except for, you know, 50% of me. Um, but it's a thing I feel needs to be addressed in um, in the beardy, you know, hoodie fucking podcasty Brooklyn world of you know, the left because, uh, you know, it's very white. And... Um, I don't know, man. I mean, there's certain issues that come up with that. I th- obviously, it's a thing that's like a little bit overblown and used cynically by our enemies. But um, but there is stuff that that comes up and is relevant. And I think the first th- thing I ever, the first time I ever saw you, I noticed you talking about something that is. Uh, I mean, I almost feel like this is a little bit taboo to talk about, but it's it's, a, it's come up a few times in my life, or since you know all this left stuff has started, and I do think it's kind of interesting. And I don't think it's that big of a deal. I think it's something that does need to be talked about, which is that, like, the big fucking mothership of all this is this podcast called Chapo Trap House, which is a bunch of white oh, yeah. people using the word, cha- uh, the name El Chapo. And uh, I was kind of curious what you thought about it, because I remember talking to you a little bit online about it, and I have had people come up to me, uh, uh, like, you know, on tour and stuff, um, especially, like, Latin folks and, like, Southern California and stuff, and kind of, like, say they aren't down with it. But I'm a comedian, so I'm kind of, like... I I think I could defend what they're doing because I think it's you know it's just a it's a funny joke where the point of it was that this person is uh is like a bad person you know or is a fucking intense reference or whatever but um I don't know man what do you what do you think I guess I wanted to ask well, you about your experience if you if you, you want to give me some time to answer I can answer but before I do when you when I went on that rant about Chapo which was not disrespectful at all I didn't think it was. That was also when, because that you know I debated Nico House and it wasn't really a debate; it was just me roasting that nigga. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, he has this like little crew of females that are good looking and dumb as fuck. And I was calling them the bird bitch left. You know, <laughs> a bird bitch is like, man, I don't want to hear what that bird ass bitch got to say. Yeah, but they look good, and I don't care if it's sexist, man. It's just it's the same reason why these niggas be loving Tulsi Gabbard, man, because they want to fuck. You know, it's just no, there's no other logic behind it, you know? I think she's uh, hot, but I don't support her. Oh, hell no. So, but yeah, like, okay, so basically, it's like this, man. It's funny to me how, first of all, me being in my mid-30s now, shit, late 30s, I'm about to be 37. Um, when I think of Brooklyn, man, I'm thinking East New York. I'm thinking Flatbush, Best Eye. You know, I'm thinking, you know... I'm thinking a, a lot of what I remember to be New York to be when I was young. So it's funny to me that it's associated when they say Brooklyn podcasters, they're not talking about Biggie and Jigga and Master Killer from Wu-Tang and all this other stuff. They're talking about like a lot in a lot of ways, transplants. So my issue with Chapo w- was this. 
And it's it's I think that there's some funny dudes. I think that they got some great takes, you know. I think though, unfortunately, the worst of them spawns people like the Red Scare. Fuck them hoes, you know. <laughs> Fuck them bitches. Um, and so it's basically like they are the biggest patrons on Patreon, right? It's like them and Barstool Sports or something. There's like they're in like the top three or something. Fuck them white boys too. Um, fuck them for real. Yeah, no, no, I like Chapo, man. Remember, I was saying like I, mean, I disagree with something Virgil said, but yeah, I think he's funny. But <laughs> that's is, well, that's is a that, fair space for us all to be able to operate within. You know, I mean, I disagree with a lot of people that I like most of the time, and oh yeah, you know, the thing is about here's the thing. Let's say I'm here in the Bay Area, California, and let's say I used I used my let's say I was to take Chapel's name. You know, I was to take Chapel's name and basically, you know, make a hundred and thirty thousand a month off his name. Them niggas is gonna see me. They're gonna hit me up and ask me, why did I disrespect you like that by not paying taxes? Because I'm operating within a community where they can get to me. You know, um, it, it's you understand the cartels operate on a, you know, think of them as like the corporate level of drug dealing. Like they are not re- they don't really care about what gang you're from as much as it's like, hey, this is who we sell to. Cartels keep a low profile here in the States. So what would happen is, is a surrogate would come and see me, you know? Yeah. And the thing is, is that like, you know, I know that they're being iron ironic and this and that. I know that they're, you know, it's just a funny name, but my nigga, none of y'all can bring your ideology to any niggas in a trap. <clears throat> Most, of, uh, I, I'm guarantee you, all of them would be probably scared to walk into one, especially if <laughs> they cooking. If, if, if they, if they, I think so. Know, yeah. They, yeah, if they looked at, let's say, a kid got two bricks on consignments, he needs to break that down into ounces. They call themselves Chapel Trap House, but I don't, and nobody has no experience with no trapping. Um, there are certain times where I hear this thing where they sort of decry identity politics. That's why I told you yeah. the worst of it is like Amy Therese and them. It's like, nigga, <laughs> you niggas literally have one of the biggest bosses in drug dealing and dope dealing. It's you know associated with Mexican. You know, I think, and you use the term trapping, yeah. which is associated with niggas. Do you know what the origin of that name is, though? I don't give a shit, personally. You <laughs> well, know? I mean, the, att- um, the intention, me, at least, is this. Let me just explain this. So, I think what what I am to understand what happened was they the first episode they ever made was, like, on someone else's podcast. I think it was on Street Fight. And then they came up with the idea to make or to release it as their own thing. And the joke, I think, was, like, it was self-deprecating. Like they were like saying, like, "Oh, we should jokingly name this like it's the most fucking fire mixtape of all time," and as if we are like much tougher people than we are. So I think the joke is supposed to be on them for being like you know extremely not cool. Yeah. But that being said, it's still all this what you're saying is still true. Yeah, because the thing is, is that like, look, I get all that, and I'm just playing a devil's advocate when I say that because I like them dudes. But it's not like when you decry, you know, when you use terminology that comes from identity and then decry the identity to which they come from, Isn't it's just another instance of white folks doing white folks shit. Yeah, that is a really interesting point. And I mean, it is something that like, I don't think it's 
perfect. I, I'm, you know, I'm very defensive, defensive of irony as a comedian, but also, I mean, as someone who is mixed experience, growing up very white, passing Mexican and all that stuff, you do constantly just have to put up with people who come from a point of privilege like that. You know, just kind of recklessly using your identity for things that uh, they'll never even understand the in the ways that they're abusing it. You know, so I can appreciate that. Um, I mean, and and, and that that was just my point because, man, how many black folks have been on this show? I mean, I couldn't put the numbers to you right now, but you know, how many how many niggas that's dealt with Fed cases? El Chapo was fighting a federal case when they made that name. You know? Yeah. And so you got to understand something like, them niggas don't look at it as, oh, they're being funny. Them niggas looking at it, they're making 100K off our boss's name, and he fighting the case. Let me share something with you. When, I'm surprised say, they haven't sent anyone over here. <laughs> I mean, it's just because, you know, it's it's you do that to people you can do it to. You know? And them right. niggas like to keep a low profile here. I told you, the cartels, you know, the, that's why the border is so safe. Because the cartels, you don't want to fuck up business, man. And yeah. this is where all the business is. So you de- you deal, they deal with everybody. Crips, Bloods, um, uh, um, Sureños, Norteños, it don't matter. If you got the money, you doing business. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. But what I was going to tell you was, let's, 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 let me give you an example. I live in Northern California. You said you was Mexican? Yeah. All right. So let's say, like, I'm in Northern California, and there's a lot of, you know, Red flag and northerners up here. You know about that? Um, no. Probably not. That's all right. It's a California thing. So, you know, basically, mm-hmm. like, there's two different major Mexican gangs in California, Norteños and Sureños, you know? Okay. Sureños are the biggest ones. I mean, they, when people say S.A., that's that's short for Southerner, you know, S. Um, but I live in Northern California. They have a different section called Northerners. If you listen to my in-depth episode on MS-13, I teach y'all all about it. Anyway. Oh, shit. That so, sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, so basically, man, like, let's say there's a let's say this rapper, my homegirl, um, you know, there's a rapper named Tweet Bird in it. Let's say I'll use a male rapper, too. Um, a, 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 gang, a, a rapper who's affiliated with Northerners called Big Tone. Let's say Big Tone catches a case, right? He's locked up. So let's say me, you know, I'm a gang member, right? Or I'm openly flagging or I'm claiming that. And I say, hey, free big tone. You know what happens? His parole gets fucked up because of that. And now I got to pay taxes because I used his name and potentially screwed up his parole hearing. Yeah. So you got to understand, man, that like, I know when you're so far removed from that, you don't think about that. It's whatever. It's funny. And I'm not saying that they should because, you know, like I said, they far removed from that. But I am saying taxes is a thing, man. Yeah. Well, no, that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast because this is probably completely alien. You know, they make a lot of money using that name. And it's just like, okay, that's cool. But can you show some love to the motherfuckers you've taken shit from? Yeah. That's why I had to do my own show because I'm like, yo, (laughs) these people are taking our shit. These people aren't cool. I'm not saying I'm cool. But fuck, man, I'm something different than what they do all day. Yeah, no, I and, mean, I, like, I agree with everything. He's, oh man, hold on, shit, on, and we're back. Okay, yeah, so yeah, like I said, man, like that's why I'm trying. I did my own shit because it's like I hear people, like I said, they take and they take from us, and and there's just, you know, let me tell you something, man. A lot of like right wingers when they talk about 
lame ass virgins living in their mom's basement doing a podcast. There's some truth to this. <laughs> there honestly is, man. And it's I don't think like, anyone's arguing with that. The thing is, is like, let me tell you something. One of my niggas told me he was like, you know, when I talked, I talked to him about that situation I told you about. And he was like, you see why you they look at you niggas like a joke? He's like, it's not the ideas, but it's some of these fucking people, huh? He was like, he was like, they put you through a test that you can never pass, you know? And and it's just and and I get that, you know, because the you know, certain aspects of the left are so polarizing and the reality is the majority of the people are not like that. But the few people that are like that, you know, it just it just it, it becomes polarizing. Yeah, we all have to answer for it. Yeah. But yeah, the, you know, like it, it's that's why I made this tweet too. It's like when you log off this Twitter shit, man, are you still is some people that really are just sarcastic dickheads, man. Like <laughs> like you, Jake, man, you're a funny dude, man. But it's some man. people, man, that like they doing that online and they playing a character. All right, that's cool. Oh, I've seen Twitter yeah. people like I've met Twitter people in real life that I followed for years, and then you see them in real life, and they're like the most uncomfortable, quiet, like timid people. Because you can tell it's like, well, that's why they're so mean online is because they're, you know, it's they have to put it all somewhere because yeah. they're afraid and to I'm do it in real life. Yeah, I'm not with that shit. I'm not <clears> with <throat> the, you know, people are gonna say what they're gonna say. But if you, you know, it's one thing if people, some people just think they quick-witted like that, you know? But it's just like, if you, if it's really about this leftism, I don't spend my time shitting on Warren supporters. I don't spend my time shitting on fucking Bloomberg supporters, man. Like, <laughs> it, it's just, you know, differences in ideology I ain't tripping off. Right? Yeah. You know, as long as that ideology it doesn't equate to the genocide of my people. But what you have in these podcasts... Dude, you don't even got podcasts that really reach people of color because most of these people ain't speaking our language, man. You know, and, and so it's like that's why I got to do what I do. I told Michael Brooks this, man. I said, Michael, I take I told him this face to face. I said, Michael, I take what you do and what Sam do and I bring it to my people, period. Yeah, because we need that. We need it. And we need it in a way that's not like a, even Ben Dixon told me he was like, we need you. You know, he's like, we need you because. You came out the gate as a quote unquote real nigga. I'm not a street dude at all. It ain't that. But I'm not gonna hide who I am. And so because of that, I have ac- no academic institutions to 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 answer for. So it's the the contrast between me and a Chapel Trap House. Yeah, I fucks with them. I'd gladly go on their show. Yeah, but I think you know, we're probably coming from a similar place where it's not you know we're not negating all what has already been built. It's just that it's you know it's not wrong. It's just insufficient. But that's that's fine because that just means that you need now we need you to do what you're going to do. It just needs to expand yeah. from there because they do serve a purpose in talking to people that particularly enjoy that type of shit. And I mean, I, you know, I'm not gonna lie. I do. I find a lot of it funny and I, yeah, I get here. some of the sensibilities, but then like anything, there's also large parts of it that I, you know, very much disagree with or don't like the sensibility of. And that's just why, you know, that's also why like, I enjoy talking to somebody like yourself because I'm not entirely and this I, maybe I'm going to get too, you know, fucking uh, pontificating about it or whatever. But part of being mixed for me and having a mixed background is just like, yeah, yeah I'm never going to 100 percent like hanging out with, you know, anything that is one monolithic ideology like that. None of it, you know, entirely reminds me of uh, my entire experience or whatever. 
But no, I mean, I think you're right. So like, why don't you tell my audience a little bit about just like a uh, ghetto news network and like where it came from, why you're doing uh, it, oh, all that shit. Well, um, I started GNN because what I would do is I would call in. Um, I was working at a group home case managing and I would call in and talk about some of my experience with that. But what happened was, was that Michael, Michael would make these references and he'd be making like 5% of references. Like he's talking straight, super black stuff. Okay. You'd be hard pressed to find people who even know what a 5%er is, let alone knowing the parts of the Supreme alphabet. And so I was like, who the fuck is this? I thought he was black. <laughs> thought he was black. And so I would call in and I would just, you know, call in and just, you know, say shit that Michael would get and Sam would be all dumbfounded, you know, and it'd be hilarious. But I'd call and I would try to get people's attention and then say something very serious. So I, I had, you know, people, a couple of people had suggested on Twitter, like, you should do your own show. Now, lots of people... Um, who like Majority Report do their own shows. And, you know, I fuck with my nigga Ronald Reagan, a.k.a. Stephen Robbins, because he's a charismatic dude and he's a fucking immigration lawyer, man. I love that guy, man. You know, he's helped me out personally as far as some immigration stuff. But the thing is, is that, you know, people have their own podcast and this and that, but they're kind of, they were kind of redoing what Majority Report already does. And I ain't trying to hear that. So... Basically, I'm like, man, I'm going to do my own shit that's going to be completely different because I see nobody who's doing it like me or who could do it like me. Yeah. I'm tired of this idea that, you know, it's like I'm tired of this idea that I got to be civil with people I don't like. You know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to get on a debate stage with Ben Shapiro and shake his fucking hand. Fuck him. Yeah. You know, he's a bitch ass nigga, man. Like. I, I don't associate with people I don't want to associate with. And in and, and people of color's community, we don't do that. You know? With family, yeah. You know? But we don't just hang out with people with, oh, there's a different ideology. No. If we don't fuck with somebody, we don't fuck with them. And, and, and yeah, I, I don't enjoy just like, debating people. I don't think it gets anything done. No. No. But, you know, I like Ben Burgess. He's really good at that shit because he be – dude's really smart. I like when uh, Sam Cedar yeah. debates libertarians. Oh, yeah. He's funny. Yeah. Call Michael Tracy a fucking coward. <laughs> um, but, like, basically, man, like, my show, man, I take, I like to work with um, smaller issues, meaning, like, I like to take what's going on literally on some ghetto shit. Like, let's say, for instance, next week I'm going to have Socialist Dog Mom on. Um, you know, Molly Conger to talk about, you know, her local dealings in Charlottesville. Um, I had a member of my DSA from Oakland on, cool. you know, to talk about. You know, nigga, we took over the block out in Fruitvale. We took over the block. And this is also what I mean, too, is that I see I'll see these leftists with these tweets like, guys, we have so much momentum right now. Let's leave the Warren supporters alone. I'm thinking, nigga, who is we? <laughs> you don't do shit but tweet. Yeah. And, and I know I sound self-righteous, but I really be out here. I ain't hard to fucking find, dog. You know, and that's also why I don't I keep my discourse to a minimum because, man, if I insult you, I mean that shit and I'll bring it to your grill. You know, I I don't spend a lot of time doing that. Um, but I just noticed there's this contingency contingency of um, that's why I said, you know, niggas who reverse engineer the little dirtbag left personas, 
you know, and, and it's just like, nah, man, like, I have too much to lose to, you know, I have too much to lose, you feel me? And so it's like, for me, like, I laugh when I see these motherfuckers really thinking they making a difference on Twitter, you know, and, yeah. and it's just like, no, you got to show your face. You got to show your face. You got to do face to face. And if you're not doing that, then you donate money. Well, you niggas is broke and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, you know? But if you're shitting on other people while you ain't doing shit, that's what you would call a broke nigga mentality. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and you're also. Broke nigga mentality does that. And I see, I'm not joking. I see a lot of that on the left, man. I, I really do. I agree wholeheartedly. That's a huge problem. And it's something that, like, you know, whom amongst us can't really look in the mirror every once in a while and go, you know, when's the last time you actually organized or did anything? Um, yep. I, I like canvassing because I don't, I just show Same up here. and I'm a body. I, I just, okay. I don't think about it very much. You know, I don't have to be smart for that. Um, you know, um, but yeah, I saw you tweeting those pictures of, uh, of the neighborhoods you were canvassing in and, uh, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's good. You should do that. Cause it's a fucking challenge to everyone else to, to back their shit up, you know? Um, yeah, log the fuck off, man. Yeah, and it's not that I don't enjoy Twitter. It's not that I don't enjoy niggas joking and shit like that. But I really do feel like people think their little followings reach anybody. They don't. That's where I feel yeah. kind of conflicted lecturing people about this because, like, I worked a very long time to become a comedian with a lot of fucking uh, followers, and my job is comedian, basically. Uh, so, like, I mean. It does something when I do it, but it ain't going to do anything when you have 15 followers and you do it, you know? And no, it- no, it's different. Listen to me. It's different when – it's different. You're a comedian, so you're trying to – you're trying to use your position to further your brand, you know? But if your brand is socialism and you don't you don't socialize, then that shit's fraudulent to me. <laughs> yeah, I That's agree. That's what I'm talking about. I think we should you all, know? you know – actually do the organizing actually read our theory all that shit uh you don't get to go be a poser you know um if nobody in your local dsa know your name you full of shit my nigga. <laughs> i and do listen, think what I you're doing it, out there I get it. some people are disabled and some people have anxiety that's okay you better be doing something go ahead I was going to say, uh, I do think what you're doing out there is probably really specifically important in California because I don't know if you know this I and mean, you probably do. Um, but like the specifically the Latin vote in California is probably what's going to push Bernie over the edge this time. Yes. Just and and a lot of that is untapped voters who, you know, aren't fucking Republicans or Democrats or whatever who just weren't going to vote. Exactly. Um, and Fruitvale is a big Latino Latino neighborhood, man. And I speak Spanish, so it's like that's what I tell you when it's we talk about taking over the block, you know. And and I view it literally, I view it like like the dope game almost, man. Like okay, Bernie's trying to be boss. There's no, <laughs> there's no boss right now. It's nothing but a bunch of lieutenants and capos and and and, and little dudes like Mayor Pete yeah, trying yeah. to be boss. So this is what we're gonna do. And once we got everybody, you know, back in Bernie, everybody else gonna stand down. That's the primary. We need to have uh, the like a, a DSA meeting where it's you doing the first episode of The Wire where he's playing chess oh, and he's shit. explaining all the pieces. Because oh. <laughs> man, like you know, when you grow up in that type of environment, you understand that the GOP operates in the exact same way, man. GOP is like. We need this area. We're hitting this area. This is the messaging we're going to use. 
you know, right down to like, you know, the messaging, let's say, for instance, the stuff, the polling data that Paul Manafort gave the Russians and this and that. Like the Russians targeted certain areas that the GOP wanted as far as talking points, you know? Sure. And that was smart. I'm not going to sit here and be one of them Russia resistance persons, but I'm also not dumb enough to say it don't matter because it did. There seems to be a healthy middle ground there that a lot of like almost nobody knows where to to land. Because, I mean, as much as I, you know, enjoy the the people that are really, really looking into how much bullshit has come out of Russiagate. Like, there's a lot of journalists who I respect who that's their thing. That also seems to be a lot of their only thing. And, like, some of that shit actually happened. It's just not full-on, you know, Manchurian candidate shit. But not to get bogged down in that. No, nah, um, no. Nah. And that was also, remember I told you, like, Virgil Texas was like, he was like, imagine knowing what a left harness is. And I'm like, imagine not giving a fuck about being extorted. If you good with that, I got some niggas in New York not bullshitting who can holler at you. You know? And, and it's not that I'm trying to jump down his throat or nothing like that, but nigga, if my niggas and my family got to go to jail for shit like this, then nah, I want accountability just the same. You know? And if you're not tripping off of extortion and knocking off a U.S. diplomat, hey, that's on you. I'm not saying it matters within the discourse of the Sanders campaign, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, uh, I I don't even know what to do with that because, like, I do I understand their point of view, and I do understand that it's also part of just their whole like comedic bit is how yeah. uh, and the point they're making. I do agree with to some extent, which is that like, um, you know, the the Russia stuff. Although it is important, is not relevant in the way that the like the resistance libs try to push it. A really good yeah. example of uh, this being explained is there's a an activist named Melina Abdullah who went on Pod Save America and yelled at them about how basically she was saying poor people don't give a fuck. No, they don't. Yeah. I'm, the I'm the only one in the hood who cares, man. <laughs> I'm the only one. That's funny. Hold <laughs> on, one of my partners, one of my partners who you know, he's out there slanging and doing his thing. He literally told me. You know, because I said, do you give a, I was like, I know you can't vote because you're a felon, but who your girl going to vote for? He's like, nigga, I don't know. And he was like, I was like, what you think about Bernie Sanders? This is last week. He's like, nigga, who the fuck is Bernie Sanders? Yeah, I know. Imagine. And that's, that's the thing. We, we all live in this fucking bubble where we think everyone knows about all this shit. Yeah. Like, you know why? We, yeah, we can't and, just and yell at each other on Twitter on about Twitter. it. Yeah, it worsens if you're on there because even I find myself, you know, get, getting caught up in that, you know? Yeah. And. Now, hold on. There are some people that I do think are funny, like uh, Beth Lynch. I like Beth Lynch. I, I, I like Beth Lynch because she doubles down. Yeah, I was wrong, but fuck him anyway. <laughs> I'm like, yes, yes. Beth is not somebody who's, you know, she keeps that same energy in real life, man. Yeah. You know, she, she, she talks super reckless and I love it, you know. <laughs> and it's just like I said, you, people can tell when you're authentic jay they know when you for real and and it, it's just one of those things man like everybody you know everybody can't do discourse like that she can you know but like i stay away from it mostly because as much as i try to be cool like man i'm always serious the old beef don't expire with me and the last thing i need to do is be getting in beef with people that i can't see can't touch because the first thought i have is nigga where you at you know, which is a dumb mentality to have, you know, and, and like I said, I'm not a street dude or nothing like that. But it's like, you're going you're gonna to come after my name, you know, then I got to do something, um, which is dumb. 
And I had, you know, I never even lived that life, but it's just a pride thing. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I got sidetracked, but that's why I do my show because there's nobody bringing this perspective at all. Like literally no one, there's not one nigga who comes from, or one person of color who comes from a rough background that didn't try to shake it off and do a show. Right. And I'm not doing that. I'm not going to be a caricature, but I'm not doing that. No, man, you seem like very much genuinely yourself. I wouldn't think anyone would think anything like that, but you're right. I mean, there is a serious lacking there and like, you know, people will criticize something like the fucking online left right now as being, you know, all white or all men or whatever. And the thing is, they're right. But uh, the way to fix that is someone's got to make this shit, you know, and it's this is all DIY. We can do it ourselves. It's pretty accessible. So, like, I'm glad you're doing what you're doing, because, the, you know, this is a this is the answer to a bunch of people sitting around going, ah, you know, they're all fucking white. Well, they are, but it's you know that's that's just who they are, and that's you know, they're not gonna. It's not on one fucking podcast to uh, to get all this work done. It, this is what should be happening. We need people like you. You know, we need uh, people from different backgrounds, and um, yeah, and also I can appreciate that you're like, you know, that you're like like a really working class person and shit, and not just like, oh yeah. You know, I got two jobs, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because there are some people that are like, will check a box, but then they're basically just a bourgeois, you know, New Yorker or whatever, and it doesn't or really that, speak. They live at home with their mama, and ain't nothing wrong with that. But if you, in your mid-20s, and you're not hustling, and you don't have a serious mental thing going on, because that, that can be the case, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about, man. Yeah. You know, it be, it be some nerdy virgin ass niggas. Nothing wrong with being a virgin, but it be some nerdy virgin ass niggas <laughs> who, you know, they got a purity test for everything else. It's like, motherfucker, you ain't even live no life, bro. Yeah. You shut your ass up before you even speak my fucking name. You know, and, and, and it's just like I said, man, like, I'm not saying we should let go of, you know, if someone does something wrong. But Michael talks, Michael Brooks talks about it all the time. People evolve, people can change, man. And if I if you put if you put your life out there, if they put their life out there, it's like there's some skeletons that you don't want out. It's like that Kobe Bryant shit, man. It's like, nigga, okay, you know, I think that something 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 might have happened. I really do. But did he continue that behavior? No, he did not. Right. You know, did he shit on the accuser? No, he did not. He never made that mistake again. So why am I gonna hold his feet to the fire? It's like me getting on you about the time you were 10, 8 years old and your mama whooped your ass and I still bring that shit up as a negative. Like, <laughs> no, man. I told you, you know? to stop bringing it up. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, um, I'll give another example. This one, um, this fine-ass black woman I was following. I think I'm still following her, though, because I have no morals. She was literally like, <laughs> I'm glad Nipsey Hussle is dead. Fuck that bigot. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? You know, it's like, it's like, let's say, for instance, I'll be honest, man, 90% of the people, niggas I know, are not fucking with trans people in any way, shape, or form, you know? Am I supposed to stop talking to them because of that? No, because it's just the ignorance, you know? Yeah. And so that's why, like, even on my show, I went out of my way, I was like, there's a, there's a really funny black trans woman, and I had her become an affiliate to my show because I want her perspective, you know? So it's like, okay, 
yeah, a lot of people in my community have a lot of negative feelings towards trans people. So why not bring one on that's really funny and that's also black so that we can have a, have a dialogue about it, you know? Like that, let's say, for instance, the Joe Rogan shit. It's like, man, I don't fuck with Joe Rogan at all. But a lot of people do fuck with him. And Joe Rogan has said some really dumb and ignorant shit. Of course. <laughs> but, but, like, nigga, we live in America. This country is founded on ignorance and dumb shit. You yeah. know, so it's like, you know, though, he's the quintessential American to me, man. I feel like the, what you're talking about and the anti-woke stuff is not terribly far apart because the bad part of woke shit is the purity testing stuff that you know will mostly white people do that shit though yeah sure you fair. know the, the, the motherfuckers that they're, they're trying to like take a bullet for a trans person take a bullet for a black person no nigga no just you be know? cool just be <laughs> just be vaguely cool and it's yeah, fucking because i'm not anti-woke it's not that yeah. You know, but I just think that it's like, let us handle that shit, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, you sound corny right now. Like, you don't don't get it twisted. I am not anti-woke, man. If somebody's racist, you point that shit out. If some, right, a monument is racist, you point that shit out. But, you, but, but, but what you're saying is, like, it, when we were talking about Kobe and shit and, and the concept of growth is pointed yeah. out, but don't fucking, you can't do this thing that people do on the internet where you hang on to it forever and then they're not allowed to participate in any of this anymore because if you have that, if that's the fucking thing, well then, well then, yeah, you can't be hanging out with any of your friends that don't understand, you know, trans issues any, anymore, no, you'd right? Be, you'd, be, you'd be sitting at your mama's house, lonely as fuck, sitting in a group DM on Twitter, getting no pussy, you know? <laughs> like, that's that's your life, Yeah, you know? And I know that's sexist, you know? I'm sorry, it's just a hood term. But, you know, it's just, like I said, man, it's just... I, 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 I like I'm a man of action, obviously. So I want to see more action from folks, man. And you could be on Twitter. You could have fun on that shit. You could be a sarcastic dickhead, even if you ain't one. But make sure you out here doing something because our, you know, whether I, I know this country is founded on racism, slavery and bullshit. But we live here. I ain't had a choice but to be here. So it's like, man, I got too much to lose. 90% of these white leftists don't lose shit when Trump is in office. The other 10% are have a, have a, with a spouse of color. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's just like, to me, I got everything to lose, man. So it's it's not that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, it's, I'm not on some resistance shit, this and that. But I do understand the gravity of what's going on. And, you know, it's just like I said, man. Like, it, it, for me, like, I, I was, people were literally writing out ways that, you know, Sanders could reject Rogan's endorsement, you know? And it's just like, dude, Rogan was literally sitting there saying the N-word over and over. You think I fuck with him? No. The only time I ever watched his show was um, when he had fighters on because he's really good at interviewing other fighters. Yeah. You know, and when Cornell West went on, that was really good. You know, um, when Dave Rubin went on because Dave Rubin was a fucking idiot. Um <laughs> You know, it's just like there are times, but it's just like, man, a nigga, the, the dude's like an ignorant ass meathead, man. But a lot of other ignorant ass meatheads fuck with him, and I'd rather he endorse Bernie than endorse Trump. Period. Yeah, of course. I mean, that's like, I think where most of us are coming from. And then the this all this just gets muddled by the internet and shit. Um, yeah, no, I think libs are the ones who are uh, who are you know cynically using the joe rogan issue to try to just just get 
just just stop Bernie in any way they possibly could. It doesn't. It's not going to work because his listeners already heard it. They don't give a fuck. You know, they're not going to they're not going to hear that the New York Times announced that uh, he recanted the endorsement or whatever. You know, it's not going to fucking happen. Um, yeah, the, 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 the thing is, too, man, is that like, like it's so hilarious when people use like quote unquote woke shit. Like, I remember. Elizabeth Warren's that what's that what's that bra's name the trans woman Ashley something I think and she was saying something oh. like when's Bernie gonna do something for trans people or some yeah, shit that's all that like bitch you've been living under you don't have it you have all the answers on your phone literally with the Google search <laughs> and you couldn't do that literally yeah. anything you wanted to know is right there and it's sourced if you want to remain ignorant and believe in QAnon and flat Earth you could do that yeah you know. It's like you couldn't Google that, you know. It's like, man, like these people swear up and down, like, like, you know, like, nigga, this isn't the right, man. You know, in the left, we're gonna vet your shit. That's why I said authenticity is important to me. You know, before I go, I just want to say I see why certain people just say fucking I'm pivoting right because it's so easy, right? You know, because <laughs> it's so easy. Imagine the right doesn't have any cool black folks. Imagine if I went right. You know, imagine if I'm like, you know what? Well, they would be truly unstoppable after that, Cole. Black unemployment is down. (laughs) The economy is booming. Oh, oh, yeah, I guess you wouldn't know because you were jobless broke, nigga. That's why you asking for a handout, right? Right? You don't want to be... You know what I'm saying? You don't want to be that like, fucking dude. That dude exists. I've met him, but you don't want to be that fucking dude. They do, man. It's fucking annoying, you know? And the thing is, is that, like, what amazed me about Trump is how easily people just repeated his lies because obama didn't really have that luxury man we wasn't just finna take that nigga at his word for everything you know <laughs> and um that's why i appreciate the young turks because in even in 09 they were on his neck you know they were on his neck and uh Cenk in particular would talk about it man like yo you need to go harder you what are you doing you know like let me tell you something people hate on cyt man but they're the biggest and to be honest, man, like I wouldn't be here if not for TYT, you know, because they were the first in 07. They were the first of their kind to me, man. So it's just like I really fucks with TYT. I don't watch it as much, but Anna's a really good person. She was really nice to her when I met her. I know she was tired, you know. And like <laughs> I said, man, like, you know, don't hate on nobody because they watching TYT just because you a super woke, ultra left progressive. Yeah, man. yeah, yeah. Shut your ass up. Yeah. Well, I'm going to play this to every single one of those motherfuckers this is, it is just all this is for white people etc you know you should you should holler at your boy virgil tell him tell him to invite me on <laughs> he could totally redeem himself i just invite me on so you know i don't what? think let i me, have that check. sort of let power me, let me let me make this known okay all right if y'all support black slash latino businesses you need to hit my patreon which is www.patreon.com slash gnn channel 10 and my three tiers are $2, $5, and $8. And the reason why I keep it so low is because if the hood can't afford it, what the fuck's, what the, what's the point? Sure, yeah. You know, if it's for working class people, $8 is if you're really doing it. You know, and like, nigga, that's a Netflix subscription. Well, not anymore. They reject the price of it. But <laughs> it's just like, let me tell y'all something. If y'all want to support black-owned businesses, y'all need to jump on my Patreon, man. You know, after the holidays, I lost like forty patrons. You know, yeah. So I need y'all. I need y'all to show me some love with that. Well, you know, 
Yeah, I need some new ports of forty ounces. Yeah, get that plug in because I have I have like you know I have a ten thousand people listening to this right now, and uh, hopefully it'll give you give you a boost. And I do appreciate what you're saying about the tiers because I've had, had people ask me like, why don't you do you know fifteen twenty dollar tiers and all this shit? And like, yeah, no, I just want this to be like fair and also affordable to the right fucking people, you know. And uh, that's why I did Fugazi shit, but that's white people shit, so don't worry it's, about it's that. All, it's all in who you're trying to attract. Let me tell you something, man. The people you, you – it's really true. The people you surround yourself are, you know, who you are. For instance, you would never think how much me and Jamie have in common until I talked to her. I realized it, you know? Yeah. That Jamie, as much as shit as she gets – even I gave her shit. I was like, who is this corny-ass Manny sounding broad on this show? She whack. <laughs> but then I, I I listened to her and I'm like, yo, she really be about this action. And then when, like I said, she I couldn't do anything for Jamin and she's doing something for me by being an official correspondent of my show. Well, you know what's so what's for- interesting about that is that fucking like the the people that are against us and they're in the media and are very cynical online and try to constantly make these like big broad monolithic smears about you know all of this shit being for the wrong types of people or for only being for you know white people or only being for men or whatever uh, it's all phobic those people like they're trying to do something really cynical which is to convince us that we don't like each other but every time I have a live show or something or I meet people that listen to the podcast. It's like all sorts of fucking different people, and we all have way more in common with each other than they would have us believe, you know? I think that's what it is. It's true, but also, like I said, too, think of the people you're trying to attract with your show. Just the statement you made, you said, look at this is, I'm trying to be reasonable. You're going to attract reasonable people. Shitty, toxic people attract each other. Think about them Red Scare scare hoes and fucking Amy (laughs) Therese. They keep a whole click of toxic ass fucking bitches around them you know because that's that's what they are so that's what they're gonna be and you know despite the gruff nature of how i talk i really do care about helping people and for people to have things they need i work at a homeless shelter that's one of my jobs so it's just like i really take this i live this shit through and through you know so it's just like if you're trying to have a show you know, I put it out. I used to only do it maybe about a couple times a month, but now I'm moving to the studio, so I'm going to be doing it more. And like I said, man, like it's it's you know, it, it, you are who you surround yourself with. So your listeners are a reflection of you. You know, my listeners are certainly a reflection of me because before I go, I will say this. You know, do you like uh, big asses? Do you like big titties? Do you like socialism? <laughs> do you like communism? Do you love them strippers? Do you love this rap shit? If you said no to any of these questions, then Ghetto News Network is not for you. <laughs> I love it, man. Period. We should print that shit like an old Soviet poster. And 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 how and and I, and I do want to say that you know I know um, like I'm a man, I'm a straight man, so I like what I like. But if you are not straight or not a man, just sub in your favorite you know body part for those other things. That's cool. <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm good with that. You know, and uh, I just need to make that clear because I don't want people to, I don't want any of the ladies or any or any of my trans slash LGBTQ folks to feel left out. Sure. Sure. All right. All respect, man. Uh, I think yeah, we got to wrap up because I went a little long here, but yeah. I appreciate you, man. Uh, I appreciate the work you're doing. Thanks for coming on. And um, yeah, man. I mean, I think you said it all. Yeah. Thank you, Jake. I, Jake, I need that. I need that. 
that blue check clout, homie. All right. Well, I'll work on getting you a blue check. I'll go. <laughs> I'll bring it up the next meeting and. Uh, yeah, the next meeting. <laughs> under my fucking All right, mask. All right, later, man. All right, everyone. That was my episode with Leela Taylor, author of Darkly and Cole James Cash, host of Ghetto News Network on YouTube. Um, hope you liked it. Uh, also, do me a favor, and if you enjoy the show, rate, review, and subscribe us. Uh, subscribe and all that shit on YouTube. It helps our numbers. Been forgetting to pump that shit up lately, but it it helps. Say whatever you want. Say uh, whatever on the comments. I don't give a fuck. Also, um, if you live in New York, we will be doing a live uh, edition of the podcast, maybe just a live show at Caroline's Comedy Club in Times Square on Super Tuesday. It's going to be a big-ass show, so drag your asses out of Brooklyn and into Times Square. I know. Uh, come hang out with us and, uh, we'll all hang out and, uh, you know, we'll take pictures with the, the Elmo guy outside of the building afterwards and stuff. Uh, can't fucking hype this shit enough. Please buy tickets in advance. This will help us a lot if we can make this show a banger. And, um, yeah, we'll be doing more stuff there, I think, after that. And then also I will be on the road. I'm on... I'm in Pittsburgh on Valentine's Day at D's Cafe. It's all on my pinned tweet on my website. And uh, I think I'm going back on tour pretty soon this year. I think I'm going to Florida soon. Can't really announce yet until it's rolled out. But, uh, yeah, thanks for listening.